Games rated E to M. Welcome to Nintendo Power Podcast. This episode, we share our first impressions of Paper Mario the Origami King, take a trip with White Ocean Big Jacket, preview this month's new games, and more. My name is Chris Slate, and joining me today are Ethan Stockton from Nintendo Treehouse. Hi, Ethan. Hello. And Camille Van Dyne from the Strategic Communications Team at Nintendo of America. Hi, Camille. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks, both of you, for coming on the show. And we've got a lot to talk about, but I'm very excited to kick things off with a discussion about Paper Mario the Origami King. Now, we've all gotten a head start with the game, but we haven't been able to talk about it yet, so I'm dying to know what you think so far. Um, But before we get to all the new stuff, first I want to find out how familiar you both are with the Paper Mario series in general. Um, Ethan, how about with you? Um, So played a bit of uh, Color Splash on the Nintendo Wii U, um, but... I actually don't have as much experience with the earlier games in the series. Um, I know um, the series is really beloved, um, has a lot of fans out there, um, but I've spent my most time, uh, the most time so far with uh, Paper Mario the Origami King, oddly enough, even though it hasn't been released yet. Great. And Camille, how about you? Yeah, for me, Chris, this is actually one of my all-time favorite series. I'm in general, a huge fan of Super Mario, whether it's a 3D platformer or the Paper Mario series. And I remember when I was younger and the first Paper Mario game out came, came out on uh, Nintendo 64, I was flipping through my Nintendo Power magazine and I cut out all of the characters and pasted them to my binder for school because I was so proud of this new game that I was playing. And I've always just loved the, the humor and the unique characters that are in the series. Absolutely. I, you know, I've started with Paper Mario on Nintendo 64, the first one, and I've played every installment since. And, and that humor and, and just the visual aesthetic that's still so unique among other games uh, really keeps me coming back. So, yeah, I, I remember I, I just have like a memory um, hearing you guys talk about it made me made me mem- remember it. Well, I haven't I, you know, I. I didn't, I kind of like based on where where I was like with gaming, you know, I was in college and things were going on when the 64 era was so prominent. um, I missed some titles like that. But I remember I was living in Japan um, when the GameCube version came out, um, Paper Mario and Thousand Year Door. And that just seeing, you know, what they were doing with Mario seemed so off the wall in like, what? Like, what even is this? Like, everything's paper. And I just have that, you know, remember seeing advertisements and maybe walking by a video game shop and, and seeing it on display and thinking that they, you know, Nintendo was taking this, you know, beloved franchise and this super well-known character and doing something so off the wall with it um, seemed, you know, just kind of blew me away at the time. Yeah, it's one of those series that simultaneously feels very much like Mario, but also really unique and, and, mm-hmm. and, and like its own thing. Yeah. Um, and what I like is that even though the humor and certain gameplay mechanics have kind of appeared in every installment, there's also a lot of new stuff, uh, a lot of fresh kind of features in every you know game in the series. So, Ethan, I thought we'd start if you could give us like a quick introduction to this version, to mm-hmm. Paper Mario and the Origami King. And tell us a little bit about what's new this time. Sure. Um, well, origami uh, is uh, kind of one of our, you know, the keywords, and I think people will see that um, if they see any of the trailers uh, that that have been released for the game so far. Um, uh, and there is an origami invasion kind of happening uh, in the paper crafted kingdom that this game takes place in. Um, king Ollie is uh, the aforementioned origami king, and uh, he wants to refold the world in, in his vision. Um, Mario meets up with um, Olivia, uh, who is kind of his partner for the adventure this time around. Um, it's revealed pretty early on that she is King Ollie's sister, and she is determined to, to travel with Mario um, and stop uh, her brother from taking over uh, the kingdom. Um, it's it's a really colorful game. It's very expansive. The environments are, are filled with detail. Um, and I think um, people will have a lot of fun just exploring um, kind of at their own pace, um, interacting with um, a wide variety of things. Um, you've, you've got Mario's trusty hammer that he uses to interact with objects, um, and you've got confetti uh, that you can use to repair uh, damage that's been done to the paper landscape. And um, there's a great new battle system that uh, we can talk about uh, a little bit. Um, 
but there's just a lot I think to explore and do in this game. Um, and meanwhile, it's it's just very colorful, um, really whimsical environments uh, while you're taking on the impending origami menace that's threatening the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, I. It, all that, we're going to dig into all that stuff, but um, first, Camille, I wanted to find out, you know, when you first started playing this game, you know, all that those new features that Ethan talked about, what was it that jumped off to you the most? Or, or I guess just in general, what was your biggest uh, kind of strongest first impression? Yeah, a couple of things. I think, Ethan, the word whimsical that you used describes so well how I feel when I'm playing this game. It just transports you into this wonderful kind of kooky, fun world. And each of the areas that you are exploring are so unique and the environments are so detailed. And uh, I have to say one of my favorite things and one of the tips that I'll share with everyone is hammer everything mm -hmm. because you never know how the environment is going to react. And there have been several times where I've thought to myself, oh, it'd be so cool if I hammered this and something happened. And then I tried it and it actually did yeah cause a reaction in the game. And there's so many clever uh, ways that you can really engage with the environment and the characters in this game that uh, I think that's been one of my favorite things so far. Yeah, yeah, speaking of hammering everything, there's, there's toads hiding all over the place. Maybe not so much hiding on purpose, but they've been hidden yeah. uh, by the bad guys. And, uh, and some of them are a little obvious, and then some of them, you, you know, you pat yourself on the back because you spotted them and you figured out where they were hiding, and you're able to hammer them and, and get them out. And then there are times where, um, you know, one of the accessories, and I guess we can talk about uh, this more in a little bit, but a tip I'll give is that one of the first accessories you can get is something that once you have it equipped, you'll always get a little kind of bell ringing sound whenever right. you're in the vicinity of a hidden toad. And I'll sometimes hear that ringing and have no idea what it's pointing me toward. And then when I really investigate the area and find out where they hid something, I, I think, wow, I've at this point I've rescued a hundred toads and this is the first one that was hidden in that way. So it is that's almost like a game in and of itself. It's just um, you know, other little clever, almost like puzzle like elements they use to hide these toads. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think what Camille mentioned and what you're talking about um, is really uh, it's just really rewarding. You learn early on in this game that um, your exploration and your curiosity is rewarded um, immediately. And and it's kind of like, I've likened it, I think when I've talked about it with other people, to like an Easter egg hunt. Um, so you're, you're, you know that, you know, you learn early on that there's tons of stuff kind of hidden or waiting for you to, to poke around and explore and find, but you don't know exactly what each of those things is going to be. And so with, you know, to take the toads as an example, sometimes they'll be rather obvious. You can see the toad right there. You pull it out, you pops out, says something funny and thanks you and runs off. Um, but then you also will, you know, find something that just looks a little odd in the environment and, and ex explore it. And it will reveal, you know, a couple of toads in this dramatic, you know, animated sequence um, that's completely unique from anything else you've seen so far. And you, you kind of quickly learn like, I'm going to explore a lot, but I don't exactly know what I'm going to find, which just makes you want to explore more. Um, so I've found that kind of like feedback loop really fun. Yeah, there are so many times where you're about to go up a set of stairs, but you, you kind of look closer and you realize, hey, I could barely kind of squeeze behind those stairs. And then that takes you to this whole other path that's a yeah. little bit hidden. Yeah. So you really have to keep an eye out. And then also we've got the um, thousand fold arms ability, which is new and people have probably seen in the trailers. Uh, where you stand on certain um, symbols, and then that allows you to kind of use motion controls. You get these big kind of, um, I don't know, like accordion-folded kind of <laughs> arms that come out, and you can kind of smash into things or grab things and pull parts of the scenery back. That's just another way to kind of explore the world and find some hidden things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you can also, you end up using those in battle occasionally as well. Um, I'm thinking of boss battles. Um, so, you know, you'll get to a point where, you know, the boss is in like a weakened state and you can use the thousand fold arms to deal some extra damage or, or whatever. So it's it's kind of a fun, um, you know, uh, thing that's new to this, this title specifically. And, and it breaks up, um, you know, other gameplay that you're doing by throwing in like, OK, I'm, I'm using these these wacky arms to try and find what bit to interact with or whatever. But, yeah, I really like it. Yeah, no, we haven't gotten too much into the battle system yet, but that is one of the new, really interesting features in this game. Uh, it's this ring-based system, and 
for regular battles, it's almost like you're solving a puzzle. Similar to the exploration of the environment, there are all these miniature uh, puzzles that you solve throughout the game. And um, the thing that I really like is how it's executed in the, in the boss battles. As you mentioned, Ethan, um, each one is so unique and each boss has a very specific weakness. And so for some of them, you may need to activate the thousandfold arms to deal the most damage or other ones you need to find the best pathway to reach them and weaken a certain part of them um, using um, what you will uh, eventually uh, acquire, which are the valumental attacks, um, which deal different types of damage as well. And I've just found each one to be so interesting and so engaging. And yeah. I love how the, the bosses interact with you throughout the battle too. And you have to shift your strategy as you go along. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there's, there's kind of two kinds of bosses in, in, the game and you'll learn i mean if you you know you see in the very early story setup um king ollie uh wraps up princess peach's castle in these five um giant paper streamers um and whisks it away to this like distant mountaintop and each of those streamers that's wrapped around the the castle is extending out to a different um region of the kingdom and oops um, pardon me, <laughs> that uh, is what is going to take Mario and Olivia on their adventure as they try to find the ends of each of those streamers. And so there are bosses uh, waiting at the ends of each streamer to defend them um, and stop Mario in his tracks. But um, like Camille mentioned, there's also these um, really fantastic origami bosses called Velamentals. Um, and they are each kind of associated with like an element. So there's like earth, you know, and, and each time, uh, they are defeated, Olivia is going to gain a new ability, um, you know, reminiscent of what their ability was that she'll be able to use going forward. Um, and uh, yeah, the bosses are definitely some cool, like creative show pieces in the game. I think, uh, really something to look forward to. Yeah, and like you guys touched on, the bosses kind of flip the new battle system around where normally Mario's in the middle of the battle arena and you have to kind of line up the bad guys that are all around you into rows or into groups that makes them uh, easier for you to attack when you get to the attack turns. So that's an extra bit of kind of puzzling strategy. But then with the bosses, it's reversed and they're in the middle and Mario has to find a way to get through the outer rings to the boss. Yep. And so navigating that, kind of choosing the correct... Uh, or moving the rings into kind of the correct um, um, grouping to be able to do that, and then choosing do you want to do a normal attack, you know, jumping or, or one of your different hammers or other weapons you might have, or do you want to try to use the thousand-fold arms if you can land on the right spot. You can also navigate through through little areas that will give you tips on the boss. And so there's just all these different layers to the strategy and really keeps your... Um, your, your brain working over time. And, and I just feel like, especially the boss battles, they're really deep and there's a lot to them. But even even regular um, battles that you just come across with, whether it's Shy Guys or, or you know, Goombas or whoever, um, just popping in there, it's just so satisfying to me. Even some of the simple patterns where you have to line them up um, to do that. And then if you do it perfectly, then you're, you've got just enough turns to be able to take everyone out before the bad guys even get a turn in. Yeah. So it really feels like, you know, if you, if you, if you match everything up just right, it really feels like you're, you're like, yeah, I really did that. Perfect. I'm a, I'm a pro at this. Yeah. It, it is super satisfying. I think, um, when you really kind of get on a groove, um, with the, the battles and like you guys have mentioned, there's this like timed puzzle solving element at the beginning of each battle, it, even in the boss battles as well. Um, and you're, so you're, yeah, you're lining enemies up, um, to, to both get a, a damage bonus, but also to be able to defeat them the most efficiently. And yeah, when you, you know, you often find that when you do solve that puzzle perfectly, you have just what it takes to kind of take everybody out in one go. Um, but, uh, you know, it, what's cool about that as well is like, if you want to just blast through and you get to a point where you're like, I'm tired of solving puzzles, um, you can just kind of you're not required to solve those puzzles. Uh, you're not penalized for it. So like if you don't figure it out or you just don't want to, you'll still proceed into kind of the turn-based part of the battle. Um, you might have to work a little harder to get rid of the enemies. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, I like that it's, the system is, is flexible enough to, you know, let you move forward anyway, even if you're, uh, if you're just tired of solving puzzles or whatever for that, you know, that time of the day, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, yeah, it really allows you 
Oh, sorry, Chris. Oh, no, you uh, go ahead. Just going to say, it really allows you to play at your own pace and in your own style as well. And another thing uh, to add there is uh, it's, a, it's an added incentive to find as many toads as you can, because if you get to one of the standard battles, you're like, oh, okay, well, I don't really feel like solving the puzzle myself this time. You can spend some of your coins and the toads that you've rescued will come in and help you solve the puzzle. So you can still get those damage bonuses, even without necessarily having to do it yourself. And They'll also give you sometimes some extra items like a fire flower or a mushroom uh, that will enhance your battle strategy as well. Yeah, I like how there's lots of approaches. And speaking of those toads, that's it's fun as you find more and more toads in the world to see them populate kind of the, the stands and the little arena around your, your battle stage. Yeah, and uh, they'll and like comment on what's going on and yeah. Yeah, they'll have like little. You can ignore them if you want, but you can you can you can look closely and see little word balloons above their heads, and they're thinking, "Oh, I can't watch this." Or yeah, if, if you if you were, if in the the actual world you initiate the battle by hitting an enemy with a hammer or jumping on them, so you get a little bonus damage at the beginning. Uh, the toad and the there's all will always be a toad in the crowd that says he never saw it coming. You know, yeah, they'll get really into it. Yeah, there's a lot of details to to notice, um, and you know. One of the other cool things with toads, um, finding them, you know, in the environment, they do add to this kind of audience that's watching you that will help you. Uh, if you, you want to kind of call a toad, that's not, not an official terminology, but, <laughs> um, but also when you're finding toads in the environment, they'll occasionally run back and populate, uh, repopulate toad town, um, uh, or whatever, you know, town of, you know, whatever region you happen to be in, um, you know, when you when you arrive in Toad Town at the beginning of the game, it's it looks really desolate. There's obviously something's been gone wrong here. But as you find certain toads, they'll come back and open an, an item shop or or a place to buy accessories, um, you know, or a place to train your battle skills. Um, and it's really fun to kind of revisit Toad Town later and and see how kind of lively it's become with you know because of the toads you've been finding. So. Yeah, I love I love that. I love building up that toad town and returning there, and and it's great that it's also kind of a, a fast travel hub that mm -hmm. within the museum there. Which, a, a side note, you're kind of filling out with different um, things that you find along the way, collectibles. Um, but they have a a different pipe you can go down that will take you to a room that has pipes that will basically lead you to all the different major right. sections of the world. Um, so it's easy a lot of times to just pop back really quick to Toad Town and see what's changed. And um, that's one thing I want to touch on really quick is just the way this world is laid out because, you know, in different Paper Mario games in the past, it's been done in different ways. But um, I really enjoy, and I was frankly very surprised um, by just how open the worlds mm -hmm. feel. You know, mm -hmm. it's in many, there have been many times where you, you enter an area and you can actually see really, really far into the distance. Like you'll see like, a mountain top far away and you'll be able to see that there's like a little question mark block up yeah. there that's yeah. tiny and so um so a lot of times there's these great vistas that really give you this sense that it's this big interconnected world and and it's at least as from what i've played so far i don't know about you know uh, after the first couple of ribbons but you um you could get from one place to the other without ever without ever going back through the hub world i mean yeah i think that's right yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was just a great surprise to me. I love that it the world felt bigger and more expansive, I think, than than it has in the past. Yeah, I don't know, Camille. I mean, you I think you've got more experience with the earlier games. I understand that there have been like chapters a lot of times in previous ones where you're kind of completing an objective and then the game will kind of take you to the next chapter and you can't really I don't know if you gain the ability to, but it seems like you're kind of being moved along from, you know, story to story and you don't really have the ability to go back. Is that true? Yeah, some of them are structured more in that way. And there will be, you'll have the ability generally to travel back to an area, but it's uh, more akin to something like fast travel where you're not traversing the world either on foot or you know, through some sort of vehicle, sort of a screen wipe, and then you are in this other area. I but I love how seamlessly you can go from one place to another here. And something that I've done as I've gone along and maybe found, discovered a toad or found a, a hidden treasure in one area. And that sort of made me think, oh, I remember seeing something sort right. of similar to this back a couple back a couple ways and so wandering back and it really encourages 
encourages you to go back and if you're like me collect everything you mm -hmm. need to get a hundred percent on all of those missing items and find all of the toads so it encourages that uh, additional exploration that i think adds yeah. a lot of replayability too to the game yeah yeah I, I think you're right like um chris mentioned uh earlier briefly one of the accessories being the toad radar that you find um which gives you a little bell chime when you're near a, a hidden toad and you know, you, you, there's a, a number of different things like that in the game where you'll acquire an item that will make you go, oh, wait a sec, I need to go and revisit, you know, this area here. Um, and while I think the game really does, like, it's it, expansive environments right, um, and by that I mean, that, like, when you get to a new zone or, or a new area, you're really kind of hit with, you know, you'll maybe get a kind of a, a panning cutscene that shows you just how big this area is, and then you're set free to explore. Um, but after you've, you know, explored that area initially and moved on, it, like Chris mentioned, um, with the fast travel, it, it becomes easy to get back there. So you get kind of the best of both worlds, I feel like, um, where you have these really detail-rich, wide-open playgrounds to explore, but you also have an easy ability to get back to them, um, to kind of you know fill in all the gaps and find all the things you might have missed on your first time through. Um, so I, that's just one one thing. Again, I don't have as much experience with the earlier titles to compare it to, but um, that's one thing I've really enjoyed about this. Uh, and, it, and it really makes the world feel big, in my opinion. Um, so... And I love how many different ways there are to traverse the world as well. Obviously, you can go on foot. Uh, in some instances, there are boats or rafts that you can take. Um, and as you mentioned, there's sort of the warp pipe system, which allows you to fast travel. But then there is also the incredibly punny fax travel yeah. <laughs> where Mario is fed into a fax machine and faxes himself to another location uh, within the world. And it's little things like that that I just think are so clever. And I know we haven't really gotten into the humor of the game yet, but the puns abound. And yeah, I do. cannot tell you <laughs> how many times I've laughed out loud or paused to take a screenshot of uh, a joke or a comment that a character has made that I just found so charming and so off the wall funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's yeah, so no, many point. so many moments so far in the game have just caused me to laugh out loud, or at least I'm constantly chuckling. The toads, the toads are always funny. But what I really like um, about this game too is that uh, there's a lot more characters than just the toads that actually get a lot of screen time. Uh, like one of the the um, characters that actually pals around with you and helps you out in battles and things like that is, well, Olivia calls him Bobby, but I think he keeps insisting that his name is just Bobom. Right. Um, but he's a funny guy too, and just characters that you come across, uh, you know, it could be people that are preparing to have a canned food picnic, you know, a, a grouping of random bad guys. Uh, so there's just so many people in the world. There's a lot of um, variety in like, not just the characters, but also their personalities and kind of what their weird quirks are. It, it, you just meet so many crazy characters in this game. Yeah, I, I'm super excited to have people, and I, I'm not going to talk about it in detail at all, but there is a, a like, old-school Japan-style theme park that you'll get to um, in kind of one of the second major areas of the game, and that that is something that would be recognizable to Japanese players because there there are you know kind of like we have an old west town you know um you know at a theme park um those are things that are known to to a Japanese audience um even though it'll still be you know fun to see it done in a paper mario take but for our audience who's less familiar with that you know in North America um <laughs> it's it really kind of comes out of left field but is is really charming um and I'm I'm really excited for people to explore that and and to hear what they think about it yeah i love that area and and that made me think of something else that really struck me about this game is you know you laid it out earlier uh the basic structure of the game you know there's a certain number of ribbons they all kind of lead to a boss and the main thrust of the of the game is going from section you know area and uh, one area in a world to the next to kind of deal with these ribbons and these bosses so you know but setting that aside the actual in-between moments are very different like the, the pacing and the structure and and you know what you do in kind of that first main area to get to the first ribbon compared to how you get to the next ribbon 
uh, is so very different. And so, you know, there, when you're in that, that theme park that you're talking about, there's a lot of exploration going in and out of rooms. There's a whole, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much either, but there's like a whole um, kind of tricky trap ninja house kind of thing that you have to go into and navigate. So, you know, even though you're doing the same basic mechanics, the actual structure that you're constantly going through, there's a ton of variety there. Um, and, uh, so, uh, that's one thing that just really impressed me is that there's just seems to be this endless number of, of wacky ideas in this game. No, I, I think that's really true. Like, um, it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying when you're exploring an, an environment, you quickly learn that you don't know what you're going to find. Right. And you're rewarded for your exploration. But I think that's also true on a more like macro scale for the game from area to area. Um, the game kind of quickly teaches you that each area you visit is going to be different from the last. Um, and like, you know, like Camille mentioned, suddenly you're on a boat and you're, you know, you're traveling across, um, you know, you're using that as your mode of transportation. Um, that kind of comes out of nowhere. And, and the game kind of keeps showing you like, yep, I can do this too. Um, you know, and really keeps you on your toes. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, you know, Camille, you mentioned we haven't talked too much about the humor. But that is a huge reason to play the game and to play any Paper Mario game because they're just so consistently funny, at least to me. And, uh, and you know, I don't want to give away any of the good jokes, but there's so many moments. I mean, pretty early on you meet these trees and you have a conversation with these trees that is pretty hilarious and turns into kind of a, you know, a big number. And then uh, I'm just going to, without giving anything away, I'm just going to say Birdo. Birdo oh. had me in stitches chef's kiss <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah there are so many moments like that i agree i i don't want to give away too much but uh even just the one-liners that some of the characters will spout out as you're exploring a new area i think what one of my favorites that i'll share is uh, as you're exploring early on in the game you'll uh, encounter some koopa troopas who are going to worship at this sort of shrine and you know, they say, are you also here to seek salvation? <laughs> and it's just things like that. Just kill me. Uh, I'm a sucker for puns. But each character has a very unique personality, as you mentioned, uh, Chris, and and the one-liners. Just they never get old. I, I just find this game to be so charming. And, and each area really has uh, a different take. And you feel like you're in a new place as you're interacting with the characters in the world. No two no two areas feel the same. Yeah, yeah, and and it's interesting too because um, folks who are familiar with Paper Mario series will will know, but but you know in this game Mario is kind of the silent protagonist, right? And he's there and he reacts to everything. He's certainly you know your character who's doing all the action, but it's Olivia and the characters around Mario that do all of the talking and kind of you know, describe what's happening in the world. And so you really do get these rich personalities. And I love Olivia's personality. Um, you know, she has these unexpected character quirks that, that come out as the adventure goes along. And, you know, you, you learn very quickly that she's very energetic and has a sense of humor herself. But then as you encounter new areas and, and as events happen in the story, you'll, you'll, get new sides to her character, which is really cool. Um, and I also, I also love that you learn pretty quickly early on with, with this title in particular, the difference between um, enemy characters that look like Mario, which I'm, by which I mean kind of, you know, this flat sticker-like rounded cute look to them, and then the origami versions. And so, you know, just because a character is traditionally Mario's enemy, like a Koopa Troopa or a Goomba, if they look like him in this kind of sticker, you know, rounded style, they're actually his friend, um, mm -hmm. or at least not his enemy. And then it's the much more robotic kind of cold, um, you know, origami enemies that you have to watch out for. Um, so you, you get this distinction pretty early on, which is, you know, really kind of emblematic for the whole game. Yeah, I really appreciated that because it because it opens up the whole world of like Mario bad guys to kind of suddenly be, you know, your buddies or at least people you can talk to and have fun exchanges with that aren't trying to attack you. So you're all kind of unified against um against the uh the origami uh people. And um and that even goes to, you know to Bowser who right at the beginning of the game you find has also been 
kind of left in a, attacked and, and and left in a bad situation. One of my favorites, yeah. Yeah, he's not happy about it at all. <laughs> no. And and one other aspect of this game I wanted to make sure I mentioned is uh, you know, I, I I love it in games when there's lots of stuff to do and collect and any kind of boxes you can take off to try to get 100%. And I think, Camille, you touched on this before, but um, I love when I'm exploring an area and you're kind of filling in holes where part of the scenery has been torn away. You're filling them in with confetti, um, similar to how you would you would um, paint certain spots in Paper Mario Color Splash. and Or you're finding um, hidden toads. Anytime you, you kind of complete like fully complete that or even find all the the hidden question mark blocks in an area you'll get a little alert on your screen that lets you know that hey you've you've done 100 percent of this and at any time you can pull up the map and look section by section for all those various categories and see how close to 100 percent completion you are so it's nice it's another satisfying rewarding kind of feeling as you go along to just occasionally you know get that little alert that like hey you, you actually max this out and so that really you know, scratches that completionist itch in me and keeps me, you know, coming back and trying to really find that last, you know, hidden toad, things like that. Well, I was just, I was just going to say, I like don't want to talk over anybody, but um, there's what you mentioned the museum earlier as well. And there's um, one other kind of bit attached to collecting things is as you're finding toads, another use for them um, is back at the museum, um, the game's development team has actually taken a lot of artwork, um, art assets and, and, you know, concept art and, and neat things that won't be in the, you know, the game that you're playing exactly, but put them in the museum and you can spend the toads that you have collected, um, to unlock pieces of artwork, um, that, you know, are really, really kind of a cool, you know, behind the scenes look at um, how they've come up with the designs for the bosses or the environments that you're exploring. And it's just another cool use um, for the toads uh, that you're collecting. So just wanted to mention that. That's awesome. Thanks for that. I, I've been into the museum many times to fast travel, but I admit I've kind of just raced in and out of yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And I kept thinking, oh, you know, after I've found a lot of collectibles and things, that's when I'll come back and really experience what the museum has to offer. But it seems like I'm missing out on some stuff already. Yeah, there's some cool stuff in there. Definitely worth checking out. Cool. Well, um, you know, I could go on and on and on about this game, but, you know, I'll just say, uh, is there anything, any last bits, anything we didn't get to cover off on that you guys would want to mention before we move ahead? Camille, do you want to well, go? Well, I think the museum just reminded me of this. And as you were talking about the art style, I know we we've discussed how unique each area is, but something that really brings it to life for me is the music and the soundtrack mm. in this game is phenomenal. And uh, sometimes I, I'm almost caught off guard as I walk into a new area and the, the music changes in a way that it makes me think, hmm, what am I about to encounter here? Sometimes it'll be a little sinister. Other times it'll be very peppy and, uh, and upbeat and it sort of gets you in this mood, like you know what you're gonna experience in the area. Um, but a as with anything in the game, I've always found myself surprised at where that music is, is taking you and leading you. And I'm really excited for people to just experience uh, all of the uh, incredible environments in this game. Mm -hmm. It's used yeah. to play up the humor a lot too, sometimes the music, yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, the last thing I'll say, uh, is we've talked a lot about the humor and I think the series is really known for its humor. Um, but, you know, keep yourself uh, ready for um, a lot of emotional depth actually in this game. I think surprisingly the story um, goes to some interesting places and uh, all I will say is that it's it's not always um, all just, you know, hearty guffaws and laughter. So um, I, I like that. Um, you know, it's it's a really whimsical, fun game to play, but it the story actually has um, some real emotional depth to it. So, oh, well, that sounds You're interesting. Definitely right on that, Ethan. I <laughs> can't say too much, but there have been a couple of moments where my heart has swelled and also my heart has wrenched at yeah, you know what's happening as these characters uh, continue on their journey. Yeah, and it's surprising. It's like the game has has kind of. Uh, made you expect all this humor and then it'll kind of throw an emotional curveball at you um, and uh, it's kind of makes it even more poignant you know sometimes because of all the humor that's great well I've you know I've sensed a little bit of that so far but I think you guys know a lot more than me at this point so I'm going to try to uh, 
not ask any more questions and make sure I, <laughs> I experiencing it, experience it as a player as I want to. Well, great. Thanks so much for that. Like I said, I could talk about that game uh, endlessly, but I do want to move on to the next segment, which is Player's Pulse. Now, a few days ago, we posted three polls on Twitter for Nintendo fans and received over 100,000 votes. So thanks to everyone who took part in these polls. And the first question what we asked was, which is the most helpful talking headwear? And the choices were Ezlo, which it, people may remember from uh, as Link's hat from The Legend of Zelda, the Minish Cap, mm-hmm. or Cappy, which is obviously from Super Mario Odyssey. Any guesses as to... Uh, which uh, got the most votes? Oh, that's a tough, that's a really tough choice. I, you know, I have to say I'm a little biased personally towards Cappy, and <laughs> I think it, any talking hat that allows you to transform into numerous other beings and sort of see life through a frog's eyes, for example, uh, probably has the edge in my book. Hmm. I'm going to guess that Cappy won um, just due to, you know, it's recent, you know, people knowing about it more recently. Uh, maybe not as many people knowing about Ezlo, but but my vote, my heart goes to Ezlo. Um, what is better than a sassy, you know, <laughs> weird, like, metamorphosizing bird creature that attaches <laughs> to the top of your head? I mean, I love I love that guy. I love, I love them both, too. Uh, you're right. Cappy did uh, win with uh, a whopping 76% of the wow. vote. But, uh, you know, Ezlo is getting to be a little bit of a deep cut now for, I yep. think, uh, more modern generations of players. I think he still did pretty well with over 20% of the vote. Yeah. The next question, <laughs> was, uh, next question was, when playing multiplayer, do you care if your player won? Mm. You know, so what do you think? People could either choose yes or either is fine. Camille, when you're playing, do you feel this urge to be player one? Or are you really cool being player two? I don't know that I should admit this or not, but <laughs> I definitely am one of those people who needs to feel the power and the control of being yeah. player one. You and want to choose all the options, right? <laughs> I absolutely do. And I cannot tell you how many fights I got in with my brother and my cousins when we were younger. And it was a race to log in first and push punch your character selection first and Mario Kart or something. And if we didn't get player one, we'd immediately hit reset <laughs> button and be like, oh no, it's do over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have memories of that. So... I mean, the bigger struggle in my house these days is a lot of games I play with my kids, like, you know, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, multiple players can control things from, like, the menu screens or, like, with Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. And so the the bigger thing is, like, who is touching the controller? Like, stop it, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and it's not me, you know? And, and there'll be, like, four people in the room. Um, and uh, so that's a fun, a fun family struggle that we have. But I, re- I do have strong memories, kind of like Camille mentioned, of being a kid. And like a lot of games on the NES or the Super NES would like, if you were player one, you would be in a particular st- side of the screen or you would, you would start on the left or your character would be a certain color and you would get used to that. And then playing any other way would just be unacceptable at that point. And, yeah. Can't do you know, it. <laughs> and, you know, it oftentimes, like Camille also mentioned, got into sibling hierarchy. And, you know, it's like, I feel like there are a lot of little brothers and little sisters out there that were probably relegated to player two uh, against their wishes. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, playing, uh, driving your cart on the left side of the screen when you're sitting on the right side of the couch, that's yes. just unimaginable. <laughs> Well, the uh, uh, the votes were in, and fifty six percent said either is fine. Although oh, forty, okay. almost forty four percent said they've got to be player one, so it was close. Huh. Interesting. All right, and the final poll question that we asked people was, who would you pick to captain your team? And the choices were Captain Falcon, Captain mm-hmm. Olimar, Captain Toad, or Captain from Animal Crossing. Who would you choose, mm. Ethan? I would. I'm the the just. Hair trigger response is Captain Falcon for me. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I big F Zero fan um, from back in the day. Uh, I also like Captain Falcon from uh, Super Smash Brothers. Um, but uh, yeah, I, he's just so bold, and I don't know. I 
I get have a strong captain association with him. So, Camille, we got Captain oh. Falcon, Captain Olimar, Captain Toad, or Captain. For me, it's got to be Captain Toad, and it's because he's always ready for adventure. <laughs> <laughs> but what if that adventure is on a slightly higher platform? He cannot jump. To get <laughs> oh, that is true. But he never stops. He will find a way through. You know, he, that's true. I think that that's what gives him the added sense of adventure and willingness to, to continue on. Yeah. Well, if it were me, I, I could not vote for Captain Falcon, uh, but I do feel like he would probably be a pretty poor leader in that whatever <laughs> your project was would end up on fire from a Falcon punch. Right. He's just punching uh, everything. Captain Olimar is probably the best at actually organizing people and getting a task done. You've but, really uh, thought this through, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but the, the majority of voters sided with Captain Falcon, 52.9%. Okay. Wow. I think the entertainment value is just too high there to, uh, to not Falcon go punching that. away the competition. Captain Toad, though, uh, did come in second at 22%. Very uh, uh, respectable position. Yeah, I love Captain Toad as well. So thanks again to everyone who participated in those polls. Um, we're going to put some up again for next episode, just for just for giggles, just because. And now we're going to move on to our next segment, which is Nintendo Power Game Club. Now, this is the new section that we started last episode where we talk about a game that we all chose to play beforehand, kind of like a book club. And um, we also kind of went out on uh, Twitter and let people know what that game would be in case you wanted to play along. And this time we picked a game called Wide Ocean Big Jacket, which was developed by Turnfollow. And before we dig in, I wanted to read really quickly a, a basic summary of the game. This is actually the one from the, the game's page at Nintendo.com. An aunt and uncle take their middle school niece and her boyfriend on an overnight camping trip in Wide Ocean Big Jacket. Take part in a classic camping trip. Roast hot dogs on the fire, go bird watching, tell ghost stories, grab a beverage from the cooler, and do cartwheels on the beach. White Ocean Big Jacket is a short story game including 20 chapters, 4 playable characters, 10,000 words of dialogue, and 8 explorable areas, all rendered in a beautiful 2D slash 3D art style. And then it goes on to say that the, um, the playtime, estimated playtime, is an hour to an hour and a half, uh, as they say, like watching a good movie with friends or curling up to read a book. And uh, this is also a game that was, um, you know, under uh, awards consideration at independent games festivals, things like that. So it had a lot of good buzz. And But actually, when we first um, discussed this game as a possible uh, one to talk about here, I, I hadn't heard of it. So mm -hmm. I was very interested to check it out. Um, I was very kind of interested in the summer camping theme, um, you know, uh, as, as a kind of a, an alternate way to kind of get outdoors and, and have some summer fun. And... Um, and also the game when I bought it was only like four bucks, basically. I think it may have been uh, on sale. So it seemed like a very uh, light and breezy uh, summery game to try. And I'm really glad I did. Um, but before I kind of get into what, you know, I liked about it, I um, wanted to start with maybe Camille. What, what, what was your impression, your overall impression of this game? Yeah, I think what the description said about you know, sitting down and just enjoying a good movie or a really relaxing you know, a couple episodes of a TV show, this put me very much in that place. And we've talked a little bit about nostalgia on the show so far. And this game gave me all the feels. It really took me back to my childhood and camping trips that I used to go on with my own family and was just almost like a nice stroll down memory lane. And uh, at the same time, it takes a look at some of the silly and sometimes messy and awkward conversations you get into with other members of your family and uh I, I don't know i really enjoyed it I, I think it's a great game for summer and certainly made me want to go back outside yeah i will just want to chime in really quick and say i was kind of caught off guard a little bit by some of the subject matter and it was it was very real uh very real <laughs> conversations not the type of like saving the the galaxy conversations i'm used to <laughs> in video games it, it really made these people um you know seem human uh, in a way that you don't normally experience in video games. And, and um, one of the people um, that responded to our, our Twitter post about this game, who went by Blizz, uh, I just want to share um, their comment really quickly um, because it, it ties into this. They said, uh, I enjoyed the game. It was really well written and made you feel connected to the characters in such a short time. I want to bring the stick holder tradition to my camping <laughs> trips. 
And that's just, you know, the stick holder is one of the, you know, one of the many kind of, uh, you know, kind of goofy, but really genuine moments. Yeah. Uh, where they're yeah. Kind of toward the end. With, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's tough to compare this game to anything else. I guess there's been kind of a rise of, of, of games that are really focused on delivering a narrative, um, visual novels, things like that. This isn't quite that, but it is very much about just experiencing the story. I don't think there's really any way to lose in the game or anything like that. But, uh, but the biggest thing I can say about it is that when it was over, the, even though I played it for a relatively brief time, the characters left a very strong impression on me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I would say I agree with everything you guys have said so far. Um, this game kind of took me by surprise. Um, I do remember hearing a, somebody mention it on another gaming podcast that I listened to, but um, and and hearing like some brief impressions, and then it kind of drifted, you know, out of you know my like you know paying attention to it. But um, when it came back up, I was like, oh, I've, I've heard about this, but really hadn't didn't remember enough, you know, to know what to expect going in. And I just kind of dove in, and. It really did surprise me. The um, so the the graphical style was I felt very effective. Um, it's not, you know, it's not super detail oriented. Um, it's it's you know swaths of color and and there's a simplicity to to the graphic style, but it fit really well. Each of the characters has a very unique look, um, which kind of associates, you know, I found myself associating with their personality. Um, and it, it just worked really effectively. And and almost the, in the way, like, I don't want to get too, like, high-minded, but, like, an impressionist painting, you know, if, if you look at it kind of from afar and it has these swaths of color, it really leaves you with this, like, uh, emotional feeling of, like, what a summer day feels like or, or something like that. And and I think Camille um, was kind of hinting at this too. You know, you leave this um, interactive movie uh, experience, um, and you really—I was really struck with like, yeah, summer days camping, you know, in the heat, and you know, you get different looks at different parts of the day. Really, do feel like that. Um, and then, and then, like you guys also mentioned, th- the the dialogue and the interactions between the characters are are not perfect um there are some edges to them and um a lot of the experience you get to experience the story through different perspectives right you're jumping between characters um but two of the characters are it seems like in their early teens and um you know their experience and their perspective is definitely different uh from the two adults they're with and just the kind of random um pointless yet really probably meaningful to them conversations that these kids have with each other um yeah like you said chris really stuck with me uh even though the experience you know was was relatively short yeah i like how you get kind of the juxtaposition of mord and ben who are the two teens and kind of their first experience uh you know being boyfriend girlfriend basically and then mord's aunt cloanne and her uncle brad and you're you're getting to see kind of from their perspective of having you know been married for quite a while, right? And and some of the story beats kind of pick up off of kind of where they're where they're all at, you know. For more than Ben, it's it's a, a lot of you know firsts, and for Cloan and Brad, it's kind of in, in at least certain cases kind of rehashing old uh, you know issues. But it's it's always kept pretty light. I mean, even though it can it can be kind of weighty, it was never like. It was never like, you know, you're ripped away from kind of the, the fun, nostalgic summer feel of it by a lot of like, you know, arguments or anything like that. It was, but it gave you some stuff to think about. You hinted at it earlier too, but I think it also wraps up in an, on a nice tone. Um, you know, there are some some moments where the characters are, you know, maybe if not in conflict, they're, you know, discussing some weighty things, but um, it does, it kind of wraps up on a cool, on a cool tone that, that sends you on your way and you're like... Yeah, it, like I have a really good kind of impression, uh, like looking back on it, I think because of the way it ended. Yeah, and yeah, I and think... It's... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's it's such a seemingly simple concept, right? But you really are brought into this day in the life of each of these characters and seeing the world through their perspective. And you're able to relate 
or at least I felt like I was able mm. to relate very well to each one of them in different instances. Like yeah. I have personally experienced this emotion that Ben is feeling or this awkward conversation that Chloe-Anne is having right now. Um, that it was all very relatable, no matter which character you were seeing the game through at any given point. And I really enjoyed that. And, and I agree. I think that's what made it really stick with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. there's, you know, you spend a good amount of time just kind of, um, kind of pressing the button through dialogue screens, but the bits that come between those where you are, you know, you take turns controlling any one of those four characters. And sometimes it's even doing something pretty mundane, like setting up the tent or, I felt in a special nostalgic kind of twinge when you're packing up at the end of the trip and you're physically, yeah. Brad, you know, you're controlling Brad and he's physically carrying the boxes of their stuff into the trunk. Yeah. And even though there's no like deep gameplay mechanic to that, just going through the motions of doing it really lands in a way that, that, you know, resonates more than if you just, mm-hmm. if, if, if the game just told you, Oh, he, he packed the trunk or something. Mm-hmm. So um, they they really use those kind of interactive bits, I think, pretty smartly. Yeah, I I totally agree. Yeah, it made me feel like... It made me feel like, oh, I don't want the camping trip to end yet. It's sort of that I absolutely have experienced the feeling of, oh, it's time to take the tent down now and pack up the car. And and with people, people, you know, right now, you know, some people are are going camping and and that's great. But with not everybody who might be camping, going out on a camping trip... um, this is probably a cool title to check out right now. Just like mm-hmm. get a, a solid dose of uh, summer camping nostalgia, um, you know, and without without having to leave your house. <laughs> you know, I couldn't agree more. And um, and like I said, going into it, I don't know to be honest that it's the kind of game I, I naturally would have chosen for myself. Just because when you first see it in the in the Nintendo eShop and read a bit about it, it it doesn't immediately correlate to anything that I know I've already enjoyed in the past. But I'm really glad that this gave me an opportunity to try it. And like I said, for an hour, hour and a half, and and a pretty um, pretty good deal too with the price. Um, I feel like it, it. I took something meaningful away from it. And it was also uh, many times just really, really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was more, funny. Mort especially is is so <laughs> sassy and straightforward. Yeah. Yep. And you know. Her determination at the beginning to find a bush to use the bathroom in <laughs> because they're camping and she doesn't want to which use then, the Which the then becomes bathroom. you trying to find a bush to, to, to go to the bathroom in. I know. If you, you, there's a way to, you know, you could just pick moments like that to, uh, as a way to explain this game to people and they would have no idea. They'd think you're making it up. Yeah. That, you, you know, you, you spend a good first part of the game just running from bush to bush. And then um, Bre- um, uh, Ben, her, uh, her awkward, nerdy kind of young teen boyfriend, uh, tells a, a kind of a campfire ghost story right. <laughs> called The Rats in the Sink that I'm not going to spoil any part of, but it was just, wow. Yeah, he finishes and everyone's just kind of like, <laughs> yeah. are, are you serious right now? Did that yeah. really happen? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was so great. Yeah. So, and um, I, I mean, I even learned a great camping trip trick from them. Well, a couple of them. One I won't spoil, but the other one that I thought was so clever was uh brad and clone you know they're big campers and they take this pile of glow-in-the-dark plastic bones and they set it up at their campsite at every campsite so that as they're walking around at night they always know which one is theirs and i thought that was just such a clever idea no i I know i need my own glow bones (laughs) i don't have a glow-in-the-dark skeleton but i was like Wait, why haven't I thought of that before? <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> something that you know, because you always wind up walking to the bathroom like late at night while you're camping, and sure. uh, then stumbling through somebody else's campsite. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the first things you do is you set him up just sitting on the picnic bench. Yeah, and, then and I like that... you get to choose. I didn't mine. Mine was hugging a tree, so you get to choose <laughs> oh, where you huh. want to put him. I didn't realize, uh, which that. is kind of a nice touch. Yeah. But packing glow bones away at the end was yeah. one of the things that gave me the biggest like yeah. oh, the trip is over kind of feelings. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Any any last thoughts? I mean, for me personally, I just think, like I said already, um, it was a a really kind of light, breezy, but kind of touching little summer experience that you know I'm glad that I kind of have those memories now, almost like I went on a real weekend camping trip. Yeah. 
I'll just say I, I don't know anything, you know, about the developers personally, but I have a 12 year old daughter and um, <laughs> it was like, oh, they, they've either done some research or they really have like a good connection back to what it feels like to be 12 because my daughter says a lot of random, you know, things <laughs> kind of like more than Ben. Um, and uh, I was like, this is this is pretty authentic. They've, they've done some good, good work here. Yeah, just the rapid fire. I love how she comes rapid fire with her questions as she's talking to her aunt, but doesn't pause long enough for her aunt to answer yeah. any one question and just keeps going and going. And that very much is a typical, you know, 12 or 13 year old, just endless curiosity and uh, sometimes lack of attention and moving quickly from one thing to another. But I, I just, uh, I thought this game was so charming and it was just what I needed right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, it's definitely a, a nice little bright spot. All right. Well, next we're going to move on to the Warp Zone quiz. Oh, oh boy. Be nice, Chris. All right. So these are, like, as always, these are games that came out 10, 20, and 30 years ago during the month of July this time. So let's get started. 10 years ago. This is July of 2010. So is this, like, mm -hmm. first to answer? Is this, like, Jeopardy style? Like, I don't have my buzzer ready or anything, but... <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd say it considered a team effort. Uh, <laughs> okay, good. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure. <laughs> I'm just worried for some reason about Camille just destroying me. Yeah, but... I know. <laughs> You'll give sure... me too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I always say this, but these are really tricky ones. Deep cuts this time. I like so the team effort. Uh, apologies angle. in advance. But just uh, even if you guess it ahead of time, just let me get through all the clues for people. Got you. <laughs> Got you. All right. So, uh, again, 10 years ago, this is in July of 2010. The clues are... This installment in a storied Square Enix RPG series released for Nintendo DS. You play as a Celestrian, one of the guardians of mortal kind who dwell in the observatory, and you embarked on a quest filled with firsts for the series, such as the first touchscreen controls. This was also the first game in the series without random battles, and the first to debut on a handheld system. Any guesses? Mm. Say this particular. Can you, I am can you not say a the, JRPG expert. The first clue again. Yeah. Because I'm trying to decide if this was like the first game in the series was on the DS or if it had already been going. I can't remember if the clues. Oh, made that clear. Uh, yeah. This installment in a storied Square Enix RPG okay, series stories. released for Nintendo DS. So it had yeah. been for quite a while before that. I believe Nintendo actually published this game technically, huh. but it's a Square Enix uh, developed okay. RPG. Arguably, said, arguably from the most influential JRPG series of all time. Well, oh. it's got to be Final Fantasy. Well, Final Fantasy. <laughs> well, I said arguably. <laughs> oh, oh well, then some bias maybe Dragon in. Quest. There you go. It is okay. Dragon Quest. <laughs> Dragon, Dragon Quest Nine. Yep, that's it. Dragon okay. Quest Nine: Sentinels of the Starry Skies. Okay. Well done, sir. The, 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 I was I was thinking more of Square than of Enix because like originally yeah. they were separate, you know. But anyway, also regional, you know, regionally probably right. Super popular it. in Japan. Dragon Quest is like a massive phenomenon over there. Yeah, always has been. All right, so this next game came out 20 years ago. This is in July of 2000. And the clues are, Acclaim published a top-down action game for Game Boy Color that was the third installment in a series that first gained popularity on Nintendo 64 as a first-person shooter that pit, that pit a Native American time-traveling warrior against dinosaurs. Any guesses? That's it. And I'm going to cut you guys off there because there's no way you're going to know exactly which version this is. No, like I, didn't, I don't even think I knew that there was a Game Boy Color version of Turok. Yeah, this well, this one's either. actually this one was Turok Three: Shadow of Oblivion. Whoa. Okay, and it's so it's top down because like you probably wouldn't have tried to pull off an FPS Turok on Game Boy Color, but yeah, yeah, wow, that's amazing. Wow, well done, Camille. <laughs> All right, so this pulling last us back one, from the brink, Camille. You guys are two for two so far. This I'm sure this last one's just going to be a piece of cake. <laughs> Thirty years ago, in July of 1990. The clues are Data East released a bodacious beat-em-up for NES that pit two players against the despicable Dragon Ninja in a mission to rescue President Ronnie. After oh punching gosh. and kicking through city streets, a forest, and across the top of a big rig and a train, you celebrate victory by grabbing hamburgers with the president. Oh my gosh. Any I mean, guesses? I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
I'm bad enough to save the president in bad dudes. Is that, are we talking about bad dudes? Well done. Three okay. for three. It was bad dudes. I also want to Ethan, give a shout out amazing. to, uh, so I, that goes back to our player one conversation because my brother and I played bad dudes uh, on the NES and um, I always insisted on being player one in that game. <laughs> you are a bad enough dude to hog that player one controller. That's right. I also want to give a quick shout out to Crystallis, which is a lesser known game, maybe, but a big. I'm a big fan of it. That came out that month as well. Huh. Wow, Famous, 30 years uh, ago. That's crazy. Yeah, feeling old over here. <laughs> Got to dig into the brain archives for yeah. that one. <laughs> but don't get cocky. There's one more question left. Okay. This is the bonus audio question. I'm going to play a uh, a sound effect from a Nintendo uh, video game, and let's see if you can guess what the sound effect is and which game it's from. Okay. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to play it one more time. Know what it is? Sounds a little bit like Kirby having a snack. It is absolutely nice. Kirby having a snack. Oh my gosh, Camille. I So <laughs> I, my depth with the Kirby series does not go that far back either. And... I'm so glad you did that because I was going to guess something else and I'm not going to say what it was. <laughs> no, now you have to tell us. <laughs> so I'd mentioned F-Zero earlier and there's this like sound you your car makes when you're like accelerating. Oh. Uh, yeah. And it kind of sounds like that. But I also knew that that almost certainly wasn't right. Um, thank I you so much. I, that, they do sound quite a bit alike now that you yeah. mention it. That particular sound was from Kirby Star Allies, which was the oh, right. game on Nintendo Switch. Yeah, yeah. Play that one well done. Kids. Again, this is one another one of those months where I warn everybody it's going to be so hard, and you guys make me look bad by just knocking them all out. <laughs> so, great job. Now we're going to move on to game forecast. And this is the part of the show where we take a look at some of the Nintendo Switch games that either just released recently or are coming soon. I'm just going to run through this list here, and then afterward I'll, um, I'll ask you guys uh, if any of these games popped off to you. So um, on July 2nd, we had Biped from Post Meta Games. On July 7th, Catherine Full Body from Sega. On July 8th, Super Liminal from Pillow Castle Games. On July 9th, Cross Code from Deck 13. On July 10th, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon 2 from Inti Creates and Deadly Premonitions 2 from Rising Star Games. On July 17th, we had Paper Mario the Origami King from Nintendo, obviously. July 31st, Fairy Tale from Koei Tecmo. And then uh, finally on August 7th, Swim Sanity from Decoy Games. Any games on the list that you guys are already aware of and maybe looking forward to? Well, one for me, I have to say, is Biped. And I'm a sucker for a good couch co op game. And I love the art style of this. You're playing as two biped robots. Uh, and you're working together to solve different puzzles in a variety of sort of funky and weird, colorful environments. And, uh, you know, I haven't had a good co-op game to play in a while. And this one, I think, is really calling to me. Hmm. Cool. I hadn't heard of that one before. I'll have to check it out now. Yeah, that wasn't on my radar either. Um, Ethan, any of these games already on your radar? Uh, well... I've got to got to say a little title called Paper Mario: The Origami King is uh, <laughs> looking forward to that. But um, uh, I love action platformer games, and um, I have heard a lot of good things about CrossCode. Um, my brother actually played it um, and recommended it to me, and I hadn't had a chance to check it out. I know it's been out on some other platforms already, so this might be my my time to jump in and grab it uh, for Nintendo Switch. Um, and uh, kind of on the same note, um, Bloodstained. I can't remember the full title. It was Curse, is oh, it Curse of the Curse Moon of the 2. Moon two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really loved the first uh, Bloodstained um, and love Castlevania uh, series games. Um, so I would love to check this out as well. Yeah. And then um, Swim Sanity. Is that the last one you mentioned? Yeah. Uh -huh. I don't know anything about it, but again, kind of on the summer, you know, theme, uh, it sounds like a good summer game. Again, I'll have to check <laughs> it out after this, but I'm just assuming it would it would fit well in, in the summer months. Yeah. Yeah. That name definitely has piqued my interest. So I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah. Um, my top pick is Bloodstained Curse of the Moon 2. I, I agree with you. I enjoyed um, Bloodstained. Um, I guess what you'd say is the main Bloodstained game that came out. Right. But um, I 
the, the first Bloodstained Curse of the Moon was this little spinoff game that Inti Creates did, and it has 8-bit graphics and plays um, a lot like the old NES Castlevania games, kind of stage-by-stage -stage progression. And I love that game so much. It's one of the rare games I went through, and I beat it on like every difficulty mode using all the different characters. And it was just so well done. So when I heard they were going to... Uh, to make a sequel, mm -hmm. uh, I almost <clears throat> said I was over the moon. Uh, apologize for that unintentional <laughs> bad pun. But, I'm fine. <laughs> but I was over the moon, and <laughs> I cannot wait to dig into this. I'm just so happy that it exists. And um, you know, it's uh, the, 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 if it's like the first game, it'll have great boss fights, the ability to swap between multiple characters. I think you can actually play co-op now, um, which is amazing. So. That's just a, a little gem I didn't know I was going to get this summer. Yeah, these are great. And every once in a while, you get these these titles where you're like, what are these developers doing? Where, you know, they're making this main game that's kind of the showpiece. And then they go off and they make, they're like, you know what? We're just going to make like a retro style, you know, version of this as well, just because we love it so much. And it's just stunning to me when, you know, um, developers go the extra mile to, to do stuff like this. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it as well. Yeah, there's another little Inti Creates gem. Um, people may remember uh, Mighty Number no. Nine, uh, and then also Inti Creates has their own um, series called um, Gunvolt, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Very Azure Azure Striker Gunvolt. Yeah, and they did a combination eight-bit style game called Mighty Gunvolt Burst, I think it was called. Uh huh. That basically plays, especially if you choose um, the Mighty Number no. Nine character, basically plays like an NES Mega Man game. Um, right. And it, it was really, really good with a lot of um, kind of weapon customization and things like that that gets pretty deep. So, uh, and then Inti Creates also does, uh, did the new Blaster Master games. Uh, so oh, cool. They've got a lot nice. of great retro inspired games on Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of their stuff just seems like, you know, labors of love. You know, a lot of things where it's like they didn't have to go that extra mile, but they, they just did it because they love, you know, either the original material or some of the stuff that it's like an homage to. So, mm -hmm. yeah, love, love that developer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ethan and Camille, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a blast. Yeah, well, thanks thank so you much for, for having, having us. us. Yeah, it was really cool. And that's it for this episode of Nintendo Power Podcast. If you have any comments or questions you'd like us to consider answering on the show, you can always email us at nintendopowerpodcast at noa.nintendo.com. Also, we always appreciate it if you can leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you get new episodes as soon as they're ready. Thanks for listening and keep playing with power.